0: Welcome to this APTA podcast. This podcast is part of APTA's Fit for Practice initiative, powered by Hyperice. Weekly programming in the form of podcasts, articles, webinars, and courses help you to prioritize movement, restoration, resiliency, and practice health. Visit APTA.org and search Fit for Practice to sign up today to receive these resources delivered to your inbox. This week's content is brought to you by Pivot Physical Therapy. I'm joined today by Allison Kellish. Allison is a PT, DPT, PhD, and MPH. She is also an associate professor at Franklin Pierce University in Manchester, New Hampshire. She has over 30 years experience in treating musculoskeletal disorders and has been an educator in the field of physical therapy for 20 years. Her research interests are clinical education with a focus on leadership, moral injury, and interprofessionalism. Today, we're discussing her work on moral injury versus burnout in relation to CIs or clinical instructors. Allison, welcome. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about your research um, that you have authored. The title of it is The Double-edged Sword of Burnout or Moral Injury of our Clinical Instructors. And we are publishing this, an abstract to this article during uh, our Fit for Practice campaign. Allison, can you help define each of these terms, burnout and moral injury?
1: So I can. So moral injury is when you are placed in an environment or situation where you know what you need to be doing, what the standards are to be met. However, due to the environment that you're put in, you are compromised and have to make a decision Um, that may go against your ethical belief. And then burnout, actually, there's three components of it. There is emotional exhaustion where you are just um, demotivated to go and in this situation uh, have students The second component is depersonalization, where you feel like you're not making the connection with the individuals that you are interacting with. And then the last component of burnout is personal achievement, where you have that self-satisfaction of the work that you're doing. You feel it has purpose and value. Thank
0: you. That helps clarify a lot. And they're obviously two completely separate things, but they must be interrelated, right? does moral injury injury contribute to burnout or vice versa?
1: So when we talk about moral injury, it's really the two components of moral distress and burnout together make moral injury. And that concept actually really developed, really came from our veterans who um, just who experience moral injury due to the um, tasks that they're asked to um, perhaps perform in their role as being in the services, um, and then has carried over. Um, and the initial research was done looking at physicians and nursing. Wow! So that's why they're called quote unquote the uh, frontline workers.
0: Ah, that definitely makes sense. When I feel like you know, we hear a lot about burnout. But moral injury is a little bit of a new term to me, and I'm sure most of our listeners as well. So I'm glad, so glad to bring this, you know, particular part of it to the surface and explore this more. What do you see, you know, based on the research? What is the prevalence of moral injury and burnout among CIs or clinical instructors? So it
1: was interesting. Um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about how this uh, research came to be. Is that we as uh, Directors of clinical education or if you're involved in physical therapy education or even if you're on the clinical side as a clinician, you are um, getting those asks from institutions to serve as a clinical instructor. And we know that um, finding a clinician to serve in that role is become more and more challenging um, for a variety of reasons. Um, so things such as the fact that programs have gotten bigger that exist, you know, increase Uh, number of seats and the number of programs that have gone up. And then also just the shift in healthcare of um, productivity numbers and uh, clinicians feeling they need to meet that and they need to meet their patient needs and they don't know if they can really feel that they can meet the needs of a student. Um, So I was like, maybe this is it. Maybe it's that they're just being pulled and they they feel they'd have to compromise somewhere along the line. Um, Is that something we need to look at in clinical education for a physical therapist. So that's where this idea came from. And we uh, went ahead and we surveyed our clinical instructors. And indeed, they do suffer from moral injury. So they're not only scoring moderately um, on the burnout index that we use, uh, the Maslow burnout injury um, tool, sorry about that. but they are also experiencing moral distress. And when we looked at moral distress we looked at two things. One thing we looked at in the tool it measures how often are you experiencing uh, moral distress And then when you're experiencing that moral distress, what is the intensity? You know, is it mild? Is it moderate? Is it significant? And what we found is that our CIs are experiencing between mild and moderate distress, depending on um, what the topic of the question was.
0: Wow. I wonder if there's just a a normal amount of moral injury that you're going to feel during a career or a day or a week, or if there's, you know, a certain tipping point where. You know, you reach a certain amount and something changes.
1: I think it's um I think it's a combination. I think as the envi- it depends from day to day. Initially, um, demands are placed right on our clinicians, and okay, they they adapt so to speak. It's it's one extra patient I'm asking you to put on the, the caseload for the day, or if it's one extra task, new task I'm asking you to give. And you know we have less time to spend with our patients to give them the best care that we can. So I feel our clinicians feel they need to get everything they have within this very short amount of time to maximize their benefit of services. And um, I think that's just a totally separate issue that they struggle with. But then when you have a student coming in, Um, And then it's how do you meet their demands of where they need to be based on the clinical rotation, um, the clinical performance instrument. Is it their first, is it their second, is their last? And if it's a new environment um, and how do you meet their needs? And where do you find out that time? Where do you carve out that time to meet that as well as your own professional growth and development of of your advancement as a clinician? So I do think as you evolve in the position, Um, there are going to be peaks and valleys. um, And we haven't yet looked at that part of the data, but I think it would be interesting to go back and look at how many years have you been a CI versus more seasoned versus novice versus in the the middle of the road to see if the levels are higher for some versus others based on their experience serving as a CI.
0: That's really interesting. I also wonder if, it, if there's any difference between what t- like what type of student you're taking, you know, the first rotation versus the last. Any difference in there?
1: Right, and I think that'll change along the way as different, I mean, that's a completely different study. We didn't ask that. Um, if you look at where the clinical education rotations are, Right, because more and more programs are shifting to putting all their clinical experience, for their full-time clinical experiences at the end of their curriculum and having these, um, these ice experiences to give some exposure to the clinic to help prepare them for the end. Um, and I, some of that, I mean, this is my opinion, some of it came as my role when I was a DCE calling and they're like, what rotation is the student on? Oh, it's their first? Um, no, we don't want someone on the first rotation, but we'll take them on their last rotation. Right. But sometimes I don't really think that makes a difference if they were in an outpatient orthopedic setting and now you're putting them in an ICU at a trauma one center. That's a very different environment. It's new skill sets they need to learn. It's different individuals that they're going to be communicating with as part of the interprofessional team. So I I don't think where the rotation takes place. I just I think it's the skill set of the student um,
0: coming in. Absolutely. Um, what did you guys look at or what are your thoughts on the prevalence rate of moral injury across all practice fields? So like outpatient ortho versus inpatient peds. Right. So we didn't look at it that way. What we did do, though,
1: is we looked at um, PT, who serve as clinical instructors compared to other um, health science professionals such as social workers, occupational therapists, and speech and language pathologists. So we started digging a little bit more into that data, and what we have found uh, most recently is that PTs who serve as clinical instructors have higher levels of moral injury and burnout compared to social workers who serve in the role as uh, clinical instructors. Our hypothesis is when you are a social worker who's taking on a student, their length of clinical rotations can be three months, six months, up to a year, where we as Mm -hmm. uh, PTs, depending on your institution, they can be as short as eight weeks and the maximum is 15, with the average being between 10 and 12. So that's, that's a huge ramping up time.
0: So Allison, based on this information, what can we do as a profession to address this and remove some of these barriers?
1: I think the first thing that we need to understand is where are our clinicians who are serving as clinical instructors, where are they experiencing the burnout? So part of the data that we found when we looked at burnout and we looked at the three components of Um, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and professional achievement, what we found was that the clinical instructors are definitely emotionally exhausted, and that's really trying to serve so many masters. So I think if you're going to take a student, I do think institutions and clinics need to look at the fact that there is a time where um, that clinician, their productivity may drop, but we know, because the research has already been done from University of Delaware, that by the end of this clinical rotations, the productivity has gone back up and uh, this, the PTs, you know, their quota that they need to meet is being met. And so I think that's one thing we need to think about is like, if you're going to take a student, why are you taking a student? What is your vision and your goal of having a clinic plan? And how are you going to support your clinician in, in taking a student? other than maybe sending them to the credentialing CI course, which is awesome by the APTA, but they need more than that. And they need more than, um, we've got a request for a student, do you want a student? Okay, yep. okay, perfect, I'm gonna tell them yes. Like providing them some information and framing out how are you gonna support that clinician while they have the student um, during their rotation and have a plan in place if things are going great. And then also have a plan in place if things are not going so great how can the CI uh, take some maybe less caseload and allow for expansion to focus on that student and bring them up to the skill set that will then carry over into, back into the productivity in the clinic. Um, and I think the other thing is there's a misconception that there's no real benefits of having a student. But what we found, because one of the elements on the burnout tool looks at um, personalization or depersonalization. And what we found was that they did not score high in depersonalization, it actually had the reverse. So we believe that part of that is because they have a student there and they have a caseload together that it is allowing the CI to spend more time with that student uh, uh, with that student, with that student, and with that patient, and really getting to know that patient better. Um, especially if you look at some of our settings where you know the outpatient setting where you're seeing three, sometimes four people an hour. Um, how do you really make that connection in such a short time? By having a student, you have that expanded time and make a better um, connection. So I think that was is interesting. Um, and what we also found though is the lack of. Um, professional uh, achievement. So I think that really can tie into how do we really recognize our clinicians who serve as clinical instructors and have that be part of their yearly assessment of of, being a good clinician and being a good PT. And often right now, while there are institutions that have um, clined programs, I don't think many, when they're evaluating their yearly performance, take into account how well did they serve in the role of a clinical instructor and how much value did they bring to the clinic program at that institution. Um, so I think that's something that could be looked at, you know, and really formalized uh, across the board.
0: I love that idea. I also think that, you know, as a former clinical instructor, which, to be honest, I always loved it. It was always something that rejuvenated me. Um, another benefit for us for having a student was that it was someone that we'd already quote unquote vetted. You know, they already knew our um, our PT, they knew our community, they knew our clinic, they knew our documentation system, they already knew the bad stuff and the good stuff. So it was just almost, you know, an, an easy transition into making this person an employee. Correct. And just
1: um, if we're going to, you know, PT as we love and serve our patients, we also need to be um, not in the red as much as possible, so to speak. Um, and by having a student and having them for 12 weeks, it when they come back into your community because it's a good fit um, and they have a belief in the care that's being provided and the way it's being provided, you have them being productive uh, new students. Uh, Staff members immediately versus that two two months of uh, ramping a new employee
0: up, so that is a, a cost saving, so to speak. Absolutely. Okay, we've talked about the benefits of being a CI from your point of view. Any drawbacks? I think uh, it can be challenging when
1: you have uh, that you're being pulled in the multiple directions and you, if your caseload is very demanding and the patients are perhaps more complex and it is student's first rotation, uh, being able to provide the care to your patient while also providing that opportunity for the student to learn and to get the, hand, the you know, the hands-on skills and the clinical reasoning that they need in place. Without you know being in your clinic for 14 hours on an 8-hour day, so I do think that is um, you know something. How do you find that balance? And I do think there is the recognition um, students are a little more savvy now of what they want from their clinical instructors, and and they they want to be all able to draw off the wealth of their CI, and they are looking at them as mentors. And is is this the type of clinician I want to be in the future? So. You know you are in the spotlight as a clinical instructor and you do need to when you're committing to that student uh, really think about can I balance this all and do I have time with during the student time with us to spend that additional time perhaps in the morning or at, in the evening uh, prepping what I think I want to do with the student the next day or questions I want to ask the student or spending time with the student for feedback and then You know, the other thing that's really challenging is the student who is uh, struggling to be successful and and you've pulled out all your bells and whistles, so to speak. And in the back of your mind, I mean, CIs, I think, are very conscious of the cost of tuition in today's uh, world and also the repercussion, so to speak, that if the student is not successful, they know that the student is going to um, be delayed, right? And uh, have to put out more dollars to do the affiliation again and not graduate on time and that impact on the student. But by the same token, they're also struggling with that, you know, my patient, patient safety always has to be first. So why I empathize with the student and what's going to happen, I have to answer to my patient's needs. And I think that is a hard struggle that um, some clinicians face sometimes when they have a student who, is, who didn't meet the benchmark for, for whatever reason going on.
0: Absolutely. Alison, based on your research, how do we best handle moral injury of RCIs? So I think that's
1: a, a multi a prong approach, so to speak as the profession in general in the academic side is looking at clinical education and should we make a change and how should that change be made? And I think that individuals who are serving as site coordinators and as clinical instructors should um, have a seat at the table, so to speak, and be part of that conversation. Uh, and then the other part is, and with the way our ed model is right now, I think it would be helpful to, um, survey, right? The survey that I perform doesn't take long to um, initiate and provide. the uh, The MDSR um, OTA, which is more clinically based, for it was based by an occupational therapist. The the other one, uh, the MDS. Uh, by Corley initially, uh, which was the framework was based off as really more for physicians and nurses. So that's really not appropriate. But I think you could easily just if you're the site coordinator or the manager or whatever you call your person who oversees clinical education, hand that out to your CIs and they can either put their name on it or not. And, and look at your clinical instructors and see uh, where are they and and are they in a mental health, are they in a good place or are they not. And if someone, you know, if I filled it out and I score high that I'm really um, morally distressed and I'm very burnt out you know i'm not even going to ask you to take a student this rotation or this year i'm going to let you just sit out and uh, we can have a conversation based on how you answer the items uh, where are the stressors that's causing that for you and then adapt a plan to minimize those stressors and then reevaluate the next coming uh, clinic year to see where you are and are you ready to step back into that role or not and I think that would be a great approach if you're really invested in your ClinEd program
0: I mean I completely agree that gives you a chance to not only look at you know the wellness of your CIs but also the overall wellness of your employees so you it's like a win-win situation
1: you know? and why not put that into the yearly eval when you're asking, you know, um, what professional growth activities have you gone to this year to enhance your uh, ability as a clinician, um, and where they sit there, and your communication, and how, you know, how many patients have you seen, and how, what was your cancellation rate, and how many in services did you provide, and all those other things that they they can bring up in these uh, reviews, but they never really look. At that, that, that component that you have spent a fair amount of time this past
0: year involved in and invested in. Absolutely. And investing in the future of, you know, your profession. So mm-hmm. you're right. So let's flip the perspective for one of a couple minutes. Allison, what do you think, what do students need to be aware of? So I think when students enter the clinic, I think they need to
1: be aware of the multiple hats that their clinical instructor is wearing. Right, their CI is wearing not only to their patient, but they they're serving as a CI, which means they are committed to clinical education and mentoring and helping students develop their skill sets. With that in mind, I think you also as a student. When your CI asks you to do something, you need to value their time and come prepared and not like, oh, I know you told me to look that up, but, you know, I, I watched the football game instead. Meanwhile, this person, your CI, has spent an hour and a half staying up late last night, preparing for the next day, gearing up for this great experience for you, and then you haven't done it. That's a that's a that's not a great experience experience from your CI perspective they're like why am I doing this you know and that leads to part of their emotional exhaustion it's like I put all this effort in and now they didn't do it. And now I don't know how I'm gonna mark them on their CPI that I've observed this and that they're ready. So I think that is something that students need to be aware of. And I think moving forward, we talk about giving back to the profession. And I think serving in the role as a clinical instructor is an awesome, awesome experience because I think you as a clinician, it makes you really ask that question, why am I doing this? Or I've never thought about it that way. Maybe it is time for me to go to another clinic course or think about getting a specialization or certification in something. Um, and as a student coming into that, I think as part of your entrance into the field of physical therapy, I think you should just consider it as part of your responsibility as a PT that having a student is part of being a PT and giving back to the profession and moving the profession forward in the direction. Right? If you if you're so kind of like if you don't vote, you don't have a say about what's going on in the world right now. So, if you are not serving as a clinical instructor and helping and mentoring molding our future PTs coming up the f- pipeline,
0: how can you be upset by where the profession will end up at? Okay, now I have an informal question for you. Mm-hmm. I, 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 uh, when you were a CI, did you have a, 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 did you prefer first years, third years? Where were you in the, in the preference? triangle there.
1: Um, I didn't really have a preference. I, I kind of like them all. Right Like right now I I like first year DPT students because they're so they're so excited to be in the clinic and they they know nothing and you really get to mold them so to speak into being d- dynamic and to really think and think outside the box and why are you doing that and uh, be creative and then share your experiences, both good and bad and your journey, so to speak, of how did you wind up where you are? I mean, you know, people ask me, oh, why did you wanna become a PT? And I'm like, I wanted to be a gym teacher. That's a true story. I wanted to be a gym teacher. My mother was a nurse and she's like, I think you'll be bored. Um, I think you should choose something else. And my sister was a nurse and I went to Children's Specialized Hospital and I saw physical therapy and I'm like, well, that's kind of like gym. I could do that. (laughs) And then I investigated therapy a little bit more and I'm like, this is my path. And I have gone left on my path. I was an inpatient neurotherapist. I went to outpatient orthopedic and then within outpatient orthopedic, I've done ergonomics and my circumstances changed and I um, did an adjunct teaching and then became a full-blown academia and, you know, swore when I graduated PT school, I was never going back to school. And somehow I kept going back. (laughs) So I think having a new, like a first time student in the clinic, you really um, challenge them and make them feel okay with not knowing everything. And that you're always, you know, that lifelong learning that we talk about, that you really are always learning and what's the next step for you or what's the next course you're going to go to or the next person you're going to collaborate with. Um, So I think that's interesting. And then I think it's interesting to see third years because when they're getting ready, like their last rotation, right before they go out the door, I feel as when they put all the pieces together and start to have a, you know, like I know where I want to take my journey as a, my first step as a novice clinician. And that is really, um, awesome to see. And I think the conversations you have with them are definitely more in depth of why, why they're thinking the way they're thinking, um, and being able to more collaboration.
0: Wow. Where did you do your first clinical rotation?
1: My first clinical rotation was in acute care at Somerset Medical Center in New Jersey. And I, to this day, I, I still remember my first patient there. He was a gentleman who had a motorcycle accident, and um, he had this large wound, and wounds were not my thing at the time. And I was like, whoa, I think I'm gonna pass out here. <laughs> like, let, me, let me stand against the wall for a minute. <laughs> I, I did not pass out, so I'm very proud of that. Um, and then uh, my first stroke patient he was an outpatient gentleman for and he wanted to play golf so bringing his golf club to therapy was really interesting and Linda was my CI right so that was a very long time ago when I re, I remember all my CIs right yeah same here I'll never forget them eternally grateful and uh and my one CI I still keep in contact with so i f- feel that sometimes if you make that connection with your CI and you can have this lifelong friendship, they almost feel like I knew you when, and look at you <laughs> now, and they feel Absolutely. like they've had a part in your professional growth and development, and they're very proud of you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate your time. Thank you. APTA Fit for Practice programming is available at no cost to all PTs, PTAs, and students. Thanks to the generosity of our sponsors. Sign up today by visiting apta.org and search fit for practice. APT podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.